when we're stuck in a tube of steel, 30,000 miles above the earth, hurtling through space at 600 miles an hour. We don't want to hear over the intercom system, is there anyone on board that can fly a plane? Drew recently came back, my son Drew recently came back from a trip to Atlanta to visit his cousin. And I was asking him when he got there how the flight was. He flew alone and he said that uh, he was sitting near the back of the plane and that a woman came down the aisle and she collapsed in the aisle near the bathroom. She just fainted out cold. And of course, the stewardesses ran to her. And then they asked over uh, the intercom system as they were cruising altitude, is there anyone on board with medical experience? And an ER doctor raised her hand and came back and, and dealt with the woman and she was fine. They didn't have to land. They got to Atlanta safely. Great resolution to the story. But it illustrates the fact that in situations outside of our control, especially in dire circumstances when chaos is upon us, either real physical chaos or just as real challenges that aren't physical, we need someone who knows what they're doing. We need someone who cares. We need someone who is willing to enter into our situation. Well, Mark reminds us this morning in Mark chapter 4 of why we need Jesus. As we walk through this story and its teaching together this morning, I want to use three phrases that are going to be the the three uh, points or the three markers for us to meditate on this morning. And they're linked together, these three phrases, by the same descriptor. It's the Greek word that's translated in your Bible as great. And each time it is spoken in this passage, it comes from the Greek root word, megas, where we get our word mega. And so in verse 37, there is a great windstorm, a mega windstorm. In verse 39, there is a great calm, a mega calm. And then in verse 41, the disciples are feared with, or excuse me, are filled with great fear, mega fear. So with those three greats, I want to walk through this passage and let those words drive us to Jesus. And so first of all, let's look at the mega storm. The great storm. Jesus is on a mission to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. We've spoken about that before as we've worked through this passage, through his teaching, some of which was veiled through the form of parables, through his healing, through his miracles. He is declaring that because he is here, God's reign has come to earth in the flesh. And what's happening to Jesus is Jesus is essentially becoming somewhat of a first century rock star at this point. I mean, he's got his enemies. He's got those who hate him. But there are throngs of people who love him, who are trying to learn more about him. 
And there are so many in the context in the scene that we find ourselves in that you'll remember at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has gotten into a boat off of the shore in order to speak to them. As the day ends, Jesus wants to go to the other side of the lake. He wants to go to the region that is primarily a Gentile region on the eastern shore. That's where we'll be next week, Lord willing, as we continue on in Mark. But there's this interesting phrase that Mark says that they took him just as he was. I think they took him just as he was because he was in the boat. He was already teaching in the boat. They took him just as he was. And just as he was, was a tired, exhausted mess. Jesus was tired. I mean, Mark gives us a glimpse here of Jesus's humanity. Because as the storm blows in, Jesus is fast asleep. That cushion that he's laying on is seriously comfortable. And he's not waking up. Now the storm comes on the sea. I don't know, all the, the, uh, the pictures that I remember as a child of the Sunday school curriculum, it seemed like you always could see the land on the Sea of Galilee, that it just always looked such a, such a tame place. But the Sea of Galilee, even to this day, can be a treacherous place to boat. And the reason for that is because the Sea of Galilee is some 700 feet below sea level. But then you have just 30 miles to the northeast, you have Mount Hermon, the one place in Israel that gets snow at some 9,300 feet. And so I'm no meteorologist, but you've got wind, cold air coming off of Mount Hermon, and it's coming into this basin where the Sea of Galilee is found, warm air on top of the Sea of Galilee. These air currents collide and boom, in a matter of minutes, you can have an incredible storm. And these men knew that. Keep in mind, these are seasoned fishermen with Jesus. This is not me like queasy on my Hawaiian catamaran. These are guys that you see on the deadliest catch. These are hardy men. And they're scared to death. They know this is bad. This is life-threateningly bad. And they're far from help. The Sea of Galilee isn't a pond. It's not a mountain lake. It is big. It's 64 square miles, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. If you're out in the middle of this thing, you are far from help. No Coast Guard. No GPS. And the power of this storm and the predicament that it put them in, it filled these hardy, seasoned fishermen with fear. This is a mega storm. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. It's interesting, I think, that sleep pops up again. Remember just last week, we were speaking of the inherent power of the seed of the word of God and how the farmer plants that seed. And then what does he do? He goes to sleep. He trusts it. 
You see, even in Jesus' actions, before Jesus has said a word, he's pointing his disciples and he's pointing us to where he wants our hearts to end up. See, there's something much bigger going on here in Mark chapter 4 than just a freak storm on the Sea of Galilee one night many thousands of years ago. But in that moment, the disciples aren't concerned about anything other than their lives, and you and I would be no different. And so they go down into the stern of the boat, they shake Jesus, and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now just think about that question posed to Jesus by these men. You see, there are Ways to say things, and then there are ways to say things, not to say things. I've learned this in in my marriage. I've learned that I often use bad phrases. Anna will come into the room with a nice plate of lunch for herself, and I'll say something like, did you not make me a sandwich? And she looks at me and gently replies, would you like me to fix you a sandwich? Of course, what I'm getting at is I'd love for you to make me a sandwich, but what I communicated to her was something very different. The disciples simply wanted Jesus' help, but they accused him of a lack of love for them, of apathy for their situation. And before Jesus says anything to them, he's about to reveal that sleeping in this situation is not apathy. It's confidence. A confidence that now reveals itself through these words that Jesus no doubt how to shout amidst the howl of wind, amidst the crash of waves, amidst the water sloshing in the boat. And what does he say? He says, be muzzled! It's the same words that he shouted to the demon be quiet, be muzzled, peace, be still. You see, he doesn't request Jesus in this beautiful scene. He rebukes. In an instant, at the sound of their creator's voice, the cursed creation obeys. And the winds have no more breath, the waves have no more roll, and it is silent, and it is still. And the great storm is no more. Can you imagine? And that brings us to the second mega, the second great, and that's the great calm. And you know, the great calm that we find in, in verse 39, the great calm is actually the great reveal. It's what Mark is getting at through this story. It's revealing Jesus, this man who was in the boat with them, it's revealing Jesus as God. You see, the disciples knew that this kind of thing, what they had just witnessed, what their jaws were still hanging open about, that this was something that Yahweh does. We read from Psalm 107 in our call to worship, but we skipped verses 23 through 30. 
of Psalm 107. Let me read it to you. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. Then they cried to the Lord in the midst of their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. You see, what these Jewish men had never experienced, but they had heard about over and over again in their lives as God's word, as this psalm was read to them, it was now their reality. Jesus was God. Jesus is Yahweh. God had literally delivered them from their distress and he had hushed the waves of the sea. And he displayed himself as more than just a teacher of truth, more than just a miracle worker, but the Lord of creation. And that's exactly what Mark wants us to see. It's the truth, not just draw, dropping to the disciples, but it's a truth that's so encouraging for us today. You see, this miracle is not just about a storm. It's not just about this one particular storm. This miracle is about the chaos of the waters. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in the Hebrew culture, to these men, the waters and the sea represented chaos, wildness, darkness. And so this is, just more, this is more than just a dramatic rescue in the midst of a storm. This is about anxieties. This is about fears. This is about troubles. This is about what Jesus is to that chaos. And so David, the psalmist, cries out metaphorically in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And my question to you this morning, and I know the answer, is do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like what David just expressed. That loss, that diagnosis, that relationship, that depression, that addiction, that memory, that delay, that disappointment, those wounds, all storms in our lives, chaos in our lives, uncontrollable, fearful, circumstances. What comfort is there? That there's a Lord of the storm. That's what comfort there is. And that Jesus is that Lord of the storm and that he's not indifferent, far from it. You are his child. You are his beloved. Pastor Jared Wilson 
a guy I like to read, pick up any of his books. He's a great, great uh, author. In one of his books, he tells this story that is attributed to Robert Louis Stevenson. He's the famous Scottish author who wrote the classic Treasure Island. And this story is attributed to him. He wrote once, it was a ship caught off in a dreadful storm in a rocky coast. The hurricane winds, driving rain, heaving waves threatened to drive the ship and its passengers to destruction. And in the midst of the terror, one daring man pulled up to the slip pulled himself up the slippery stairs of the ship's hold to the deck, fearful of what he'd see. The ship tossed, steeply creaking and cracking, pierced the deadly whoosh of the sea. The moonlight and the heavy rain did not allow much vision, but the sailor fast held fast and gazed across the deck to the wheel of the ship. And there, through the rain, he saw the pilot at his post, gripping the wheel strongly and bit by bit steering the ship out to sea. And the pilot spotted the terrified spy and gave him a smirk. And this passenger, as Stevenson recounts, returned to the hold and sounded the news to everyone below. I have seen the face of the pilot and he smiled at me. All is well. As Mark tells us this story, brothers and sisters, he wants us to see the smile of Jesus and know that all is well. The waters may be churning in your life. They may be slow to settle and calm, but all is well. Here's one of the tricky things about this passage Did you notice a phrase when I read the passage from Psalm 107 in verse 25, speaking about that scene where Yahweh stills the water? Verse 25 says, He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Now, Jesus, while he was on earth, limited himself. And in his human nature, I don't know that he was aware of what he was steering the disciples into. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But the Father certainly knew what lied ahead for them. You see, I think we sometimes operate under the assumption that a loving God wouldn't allow us to ever suffer. A guarantee that if we're following Jesus, the forecast is going to be sunny and 75 every day. That's what the Christian life is about, right? And Mark reminds us that no, he knows us. He loves us. But that's not necessarily the way he works. He's not content to let us remain where we are. And that's not to say that every storm in our lives is directly from him, that every storm in our lives is a result of our own stubbornness. But this is certain. No storm in our lives is a surprise. And they all should drive us to who Jesus is. Jesus knows the storm. He can prevent the storm. He can rebuke the storm in his timing. And that brings us to the last great or mega. We've looked at the great storm, the mega storm. We've looked at the great calm. 
And now what's the last grade in verse 41? They were filled with great fear. A couple months ago, our family hiked up to Lake 22 together. If you've never hiked up in Lake to Lake 22 up in the Granite Falls area, what a simple hike. It's, it's not a Philip and Cheryl kind of hike. It's a, it's a Nate and Anna kind of hike. You can take your kids and uh, hike up there. Uh, but it's a beautiful hike, a lake up at the top, uh, some considerable elevation. It was a warm, sunny day. And we got close to the lake and we were about, I don't know, an eighth a mile from the lake. And, and it just was snow everywhere. And we kind of worked our way through these snowy banks and we knew we were close and we got to the lake and it's majestic. It's this huge, huge rock just jutting up away from the earth. And there was snow everywhere and you could hear in the distance the rumblings of these little mini avalanches coming off of those cliff faces. It was majestic. And Anna made the comment, that she wanted to stay, but she wanted to go. Because this beauty and this majesty was a bit terrifying. And it was. The storm has been silenced. The danger is gone. But instead of the disciples cheering, they're stunned. They're more scared than they were before at the man who just rebuked and yelled at the waves and made them stop. Bit by bit, all these events that Mark is taking us through, slowly but surely, it's sinking in who Jesus is. The disciples are figuring it out. Jesus is God. And because he is God in the flesh, standing in the boat with them, he is more awe-inspiring than the storm that made them wake him up. And at the same time, notice how gentle Jesus is. I mean, these guys had just been incredibly rude to the Lord of the universe. Why don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus shouts at the storm, but his response to these weak need men of little faith is simply two questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, trust me. The antidote to your fear is faith. There's a great phrase that Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament prays to the Lord on behalf of Israel. It's found in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. And he prays to the Lord in the face of the enemies of God's people. And he says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And here's the phrase. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to know what to do. You just have to believe the one who does understand and the one who does know what to do. 
You see, Jesus is the author of our faith. He is the giver of our faith. He is the object of our faith. This is not a passage about mustering more faith. It's about praying and placing your faith in Jesus. For Jesus is not only the one who can calm the storm, Jesus is ultimately, as we've sung about, as we've confessed, Jesus is the one who went through the greatest storm on our behalf. One of the things that is unmistakable about this account in Mark chapter 4 is the similarity between this story and another familiar story in the Old Testament. The story of Jonah. I know most of you, if not all of you, know it well. Jesus makes the comparison of himself to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. But think about the similarities here between Jonah and Jesus. They both are on the sea in a boat. They both get caught in a storm while sleeping in the hold. They both receive the cries from the sailors that they are perishing. And in both cases, divine intervention calms the storm. And in both stories, the result is fear of all those who witness what just went down. But what's the big difference between the stories? It's that the greater Jonah has come. Jonah was thrown into the heart of the storm to save the crew. He was swallowed by the darkness of the water and he was entombed in a whale. Jesus, not long after this event, will throw himself, figuratively speaking, into the storm of God's wrath in order to not just save this man on this boat, but in order to save the whole world. And he will be swallowed in darkness as his father, his beloved father, who he has communed with for all eternity, turns his back on him. And it'll be Jesus who's crying, why have you forsaken me, Father? Jesus will be entombed in a rock and not a whale, but ah, he will rise. And how will the disciples respond when he rises? They will be terrified at the majesty, at the awe. You see, Jesus, the greater Jonah, will prove that he brings salvation that will extend beyond this lake, beyond death, into eternity. And that's the good news we live for. It's the good news we celebrate. And what does John write about that new heavens and that new earth? Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. No more darkness, no more chaos, no more uncertainty, only safety. That is the Savior who we worship. That is the Savior who we adore. And so rest. Rest in the great calm, in the mega calm, 
or excuse me, in the mega storm, or maybe the mega calm, in whatever season you're going through, rest knowing that you serve a great God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for this incredible story of not just Jesus's care for his disciples some 2,000 years ago, but of what this story points beyond to, of his care for us in the chaos of our lives, in his care for our eternity as he who knew no sin became sin for us. O Holy Spirit, impress these words and this truth upon our hearts that we might be changed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.